This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, our GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. We have important information for you about a great volunteer program established by our local partners in West Feliciana Parish. They have developed a model that many other areas across the country may be able to use, not only during an emergency, but during recovery as well. As many of you know, the period after a disaster can often be more difficult than the actual event. West Feliciana Parish Emergency Management Director Brian Spillman and two of the volunteers will join us to talk about the program. And high river levels continue to be a concern across the state and in many other areas across the country. The Army Corps of Engineers will join us for an update on those conditions. Before we get started with our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. At the time of this recording, we are marking National Lightning Safety Awareness Week by sharing information from our partners at the National Weather Service. Here is some of the information being provided. Did you know lightning is hotter than the sun and can reach temperatures of 50,000 degrees? Here's a common myth, lightning never strikes the same place twice. A fact, according to weather experts, is lightning often strikes the same place or object repeatedly, especially if it's a tall, pointy, and isolated structure or tree. If you are caught outside when lightning starts, these actions may reduce your risk of being struck. Avoid open fields and tall areas like a hill or ridge. Stay away from tall, isolated trees or other objects. Stay away from water, wet objects, or metal objects. And remember, tents, pavilions, or dugouts will not fully protect you. The old advice is, when thunder roars, get indoors. Lightning can often strike miles ahead of a storm system. That is today's preparedness tip. Moving on to our first interview, we actually have a group joining us today. Brian Spillman is the OEP director for West Feliciana Parish. We're going to talk about the way the parish made the best out of something terrible in regards to the devastating 2016 floods that impacted nearly all of Louisiana. That has to do with volunteer efforts resulting from that event. Brian is now working with the West Feliciana Volunteers for Response and Recovery Foundation. Brian joins us along with Ed Leachman and Carrie Cobb, two of the volunteers. Thank you all for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Let's start with you, Brian. We often talk on this podcast about the need for volunteers and public involvement for the emergency management cycle to work. How did this group start and what role did they play? Well, you know, in August of 2016, everyone was overwhelmed by the flooding that took place. West Feliciana was no different from any of the other parishes. We um, immediately knew that we had some needs that were probably going to exceed our capabilities. One of the things that we began dealing with in about day two were donations management and helping those people that were affected find the answers to the questions that they had. This group of individuals that we're, we're talking with today were at the time, not organized, but they came together as a group and and really stood up and helped us in a lot of ways that we otherwise would have been in a bind to get get the services provided. You know, we talk about that sometimes on this show, that it's great that people, especially in the U.S., want to help out, even people from other states. But if that donation drive 
uh, isn't structured and handled in a proper way, it really can cause some some additional heartache when you're trying to go through something like that. As you know, and, and you've been involved in these many years as I have, um, those things can overwhelm me very quickly, and, and we needed to manage it. The other things, some of the other things that we were involved in that we needed some help with was uh, providing the uh, the food for the for not only the, the affected people, but the folks that were in there providing those services, our first responders, the volunteers that were helping to muck out homes and do the things that needed to help people get back to some semblance of, of normalcy. I gotcha. So again, Ed Leachman is one of the volunteers with this group, but he's also a retired emergency management professor. That's uh, pretty handy. I guess this was a natural fit, Mr. Leachman, uh, for someone with your background. Yeah, what I saw here was things that I'd taught for many years happening in real time, right in front of my eyes. In fact, I was able to participate and do the things that I talked about in classes. And so what I was able to see was that it really does work that people want to help, and as long as they're organized and they have the right direction from, like, the parish emergency management office, they can actually be a major asset. Is that kind of the key to the whole thing, make sure you sync up with what your local officials are doing and and make sure you're kind of in step with that process? That's exactly what needs to be done. You have to understand what the real needs are. You know, we— often get volunteers helping doing things, but the things that they're doing are not really the number one needs. In our parish, with with the organization that we have, they understand what the most critical needs are. And so we were able to address those needs first and as our top priority. And that's why it worked so well, was because of the good direction we had. Good to know. And so Carrie Cobb also joins us. Ms. Cobb, uh, we understand you're, you're pretty... Um involved in some of the churches and some of the church activities in West Feliciana. Uh, And you're also instrumental in getting this group kind of organized. Uh, Does your church play an important role in that? And have you been able to kind of stress the importance to others that you deal with on a daily basis? Yes, I have. And we uh, try to get the members in the church to uh, do activities and trying to uh, get them to do the shelter training and uh, delivering food, you know, when they need the food to be delivered, and then clothes drive. We are having a a giveaway this weekend at the uh, church in the hardwood to give away clothes and different things like that. And you're kind of going beyond the floods at this point, the way I understand it. You're looking at other needs across the parish. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Are are there people that, that, I guess there's people in constant need, not just after a disaster? Oh, yeah, just a constant need. And we always volunteer anywhere that we need to be. All right. Well, we appreciate you being here today. Uh, Also joining us by phone is Kimberly Poorball with GOSEP. Uh, Kimberly works with many of our local partners trying to help them establish a volunteer network like we're talking about. Kimberly, this sounds like a perfect example of what we're often promoting from a state standpoint. Is that right? That is right. Absolutely right. At the state level, we are primarily here to support our local government, our local citizens and parishes. So this group is a great community-based model of citizens helping citizens, neighbors helping neighbors. But I love that they've gone beyond just that initial disaster response volunteerism. They've, like Ed said, they have partnered with their local OEPs to make sure that they are 
correctly trained, that they know where the needs and the priorities are. And they've taken that volunteerism and moved it into the recovery aspect, which is a really important and great need that we have. Because after the disaster hits, after the media and the spotlight is no longer on that immediate response, Years later, homeowners and citizens are still trying to recover, and we might not have the resources at the state or local level to help them recover. So this group takes that model of helping and volunteering and helping citizens overcome those unmet needs. And it is a model that we would like to see, not just in West Feliciana Parish, but take that across Louisiana and even across the nation to show the importance of volunteering throughout the disaster cycle and building those local partnerships. Good point. And that kind of leads into my next question I was going to ask Brian. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of offers to help uh, during the response to an emergency like the 2016 floods, but the need for help lasts much longer. And, and that's kind of where this group is really stepping in to help fill that need, correct? Absolutely. And and what we saw was, as you know, there's, there's always a, a fair amount of help in the disaster itself. When everyone has packed up their bags and, and, and headed back to where they, they came from and, and the, the initial threat has is, is subsided, there's a lot of unmet needs out there, as Kimberly said. Uh, what this group really excelled in was meeting those un, unmet needs uh, head on. They, they counseled the victims of the flood, helped them wade through that, that maze of, of network of uh, FEMA and state and other uh, resources that were available to them, but they didn't quite understand. And as you know, it can be very difficult for people that aren't familiar with it. So this group was very instrumental in helping those people up until about two months ago when they when they finally closed out their final case. They've been constantly on this on a monthly basis uh, to the point where – at the end, there was one final unmet need, and it was, a, it was some flooring that was needed in in a uh, in a home that had been impacted by the flood, and they just could not get the help that they needed to do that. Well, Mr. Ed here and and another volunteer actually got the flooring, went and on a Saturday spent four hours placing that flooring on in that home for that that victim of the flood. So that's just an example of, of some of the things that they've done. I bet they're really go-getters too when it comes to uh, helping the uh, business community get involved in these projects as well. I talked to a few of the people at a, at a conference we were at and it seemed like they were really, there were people you didn't want to disappoint. I guess if they went to the business community, they they really urged them to help out as well. So the West Feliciana Volunteers for Response and Recovery Foundation is made up of people like Miss Carrie and Mr. Ed, who who are you know have their heart in this. Mr. Ed has been trained in this all these years. Miss Carrie has been a volunteer in the church for all these many years. We have retirees. We have professional people that work you know a nine to five job. We have uh, clergy. We have uh, students in the in the parish. You know that it's a wide range of people that represent this organization, and it's not the normal ones that you sometimes would see. They they find. They find value in, in, in giving something back to the community. And what we've been able to do or what actually this group has been able to do is to find those talents that those people have that are part of this group and then utilize those talents to the best place where they're fitting. And it, it's, it's really been rewarding to see. You know, we hear that a lot. And that kind of leads into what I want to talk to Mr. Leachman about. Uh, you obviously have experience in dealing with these types of events. Right. 
I would look at this and be like, you know, I'm not much of a handyman. I have enough trouble with my own home repairs and everything. But are there other areas that that maybe retirees or other people that really want to dig in and help uh, can help out with besides just, you know, some of the repairs and different things like that? You're exactly right. The repairs, of course, require special skills. You know, it was pretty hard to find someone who knew how to lay this type of flooring. But it's not just laying the flooring, it's determining all the other things that you need to get ready to lay it. So it's really a project management activity. So anyone who's experienced in project management would be more than welcome to come and help us look at these unmet need projects that we take on and figure all the ins and outs and all the different ways that we might be able to satisfy these needs and find the best way. And the other, some of the other areas, like Carrie had mentioned, is that we're in the preparedness area. We're looking at being able to operate a shelter in the parish. Mm-hmm. So we're very actively involved in training people in shelter operations using the model that the Red Cross has for shelter operations. And, of course, once you get into shelter operations, there are a lot of skills even in that. You have security skills. You have food skills. You have medical skills. Mm -hmm. So you can see the skills level are so important regardless of what the specific type of event or activity you're involved in. That's so important, too, because not every event reaches the magnitude where a Red Cross shelter or a state-operated shelter would be involved. Oftentimes, it's maybe you know, five families that need assistance for exactly. a day or two. And so that's where this this type of group can really help out. Ms. Cobb, if you could talk about if someone's thinking about taking this step or organizing this type of group, maybe they belong to a church with, with active volunteers, do you suggest they really go after this type of step in, in their local area? Oh, yes. I truly think that they should because it's a, a demand. They do need help in the communities dramatically. There's a big need big out there. need, yes. Yeah. It's a big need. Uh, and they need the training and stuff. They give you training for the DAT program. Mm. This program that we are in, they gave the uh, first aid mm. and uh, CPR class, and I didn't have that before now. And now I have all of those trainings and things, and it's it's been very helpful for this type of well, organization. It, personally, it warms my heart to know you guys are working on these types of things. Kimberly, I guess this, again, is, you know, kind of stresses the importance of having these civic groups or maybe uh, faith-based groups really step up to the plate uh, whenever they want to connect with our local leaders uh, with for this type of activity. Exactly. As we all know, every disaster starts local and ends local. So having these community organizations and community groups respond to their own needs, to their own disaster in partnership with their local emergency managers. It helps them have an investment in their community. It helps them feel like they are the ones who are preparing their community, responding to the needs of their community, and helping their own community recover instead of having someone from the outside come in, which we all appreciate and know is wonderful. But again, this is a most disasters or all disasters are local. So having these local groups help their own communities is a wonderful and sustainable model that any other parish, county, state can definitely follow. 
Good point. So uh, recently, the Advocate newspaper in Baton Rouge uh, highlighted the work of the West Feliciana Volunteers for Response and Recovery Foundation. Uh, I found out with the easy Google search this morning, as a matter of fact. And the volunteers were also recently honored at the Louisiana Emergency Management Conference in Lake Charles. Uh, so again, you can Google and, and find out more information about this group. We appreciate you guys coming in. Uh, it's great to see the service you're helping uh, provide, and we hope it kind of sparks some interest from others, maybe in other areas. So uh, thank you guys for joining us this morning. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Now we'll move to the emergency resource segment for this episode. We've got a great website you can check out, keeping with the volunteer theme. At volunteerlouisiana.gov, people can register as a volunteer, get updates on volunteer opportunities, and find ways to donate to the relief efforts. Once the floodwaters recede and rescue operations have ended, the need for volunteers to help with disaster recovery will be great. Volunteer organizations will be ready to mobilize once the conditions are safe, and Volunteer Louisiana will continue to update opportunities as they become available. Nonprofit and faith-based organizations in need of volunteers can register their organization and opportunities at volunteerlouisiana.gov. Donation information is also available for those who wish to donate money or materials and supplies. Volunteer Louisiana, located in the office of Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser, manages 17 AmeriCorps state programs, promotes volunteerism, and coordinates spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteers in times of disaster. It's supported by grants from the Corporation for National and Community Service. For more information, visit volunteerlouisiana.gov. Moving on to our second interview, Heath Jones is with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers New Orleans District Office. Of course, river flooding has been a major concern across much of the region for a record-breaking period of time to start 2019. At the time we're recording this, that river fight is still going on. Heath, if you could, talk to us about what you guys are seeing and and are we starting to see things uh, improve a little bit? Yeah, thanks, Mike. So we've been at this almost eight months now, back in November of 2018, Hurricane Florence moved in and dumped a lot of rain in Ohio Valley. Um, and that's kind of what started this whole event. And uh, it's been prolonged. We've had uh, snowmelt issues up, top, uh, up north. We've had a lot of rain in the, in the Ohio Valley. Then the past couple of months, a lot of rain in the Oklahoma, Missouri, Nebraska area, which all eventually makes it down to New Orleans. Um, past New Orleans and Baton Rouge, we, we drained 41% of the country. So, um, we have been seeing record floods for for duration. Um, we have opened Bonnie Carey Spillway twice uh, during this event, which is uh, history in itself. Um, never done that before. Uh, we've come close to having to do Morgans a couple times, uh, but didn't quite get to the trigger. So we pulled those operations back. Uh, of course, we're going to only operate if, if, if necessary. But overall, it's been a long flood fight, but we are uh, – Levers are holding up good. We have around 280 inspection points. That can be anything from seepage to uh, barges getting too close to the levee to neighbors digging in, the, in, in too, too close to the levee. So uh, right now we have a restriction of you can't dig within 1,500 feet of the levee. 
uh, that's being enforced. So some of those points are just kind of catching those things. Um, but overall, it's all good. We don't have anything that's really of major concern, more nuisance problems. Uh, we recognize seepage in some places and uh, and some people's yards and other things are, 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 are a problem for them, but nothing too concerning for the levy system itself. Uh, do you think that's a good sign? I mean, we have seen the levees really uh, take a tremendous amount of pressure, you know, for the past several months now. Is it a good sign that things are kind of holding up the way they are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the 2011, um, in the 2011 flood, which was the, the, the record breaker um, for, for stages, we had about 600 points. And so Congress gave us some supplemental funds. We went and made a bunch of repairs. One of the most notable ones is up at Duncan Point near Baton Rouge. Um, a lot of relief well projects that we put in. And like I said before, that's down about half of what we had during 2011. So that's um, a good sign. This, this MRT, Mississippi River and Tributary System, is, is one of the best engineered levy systems in the world. Um, and it, it, it is holding just fine. Um, and we were. Hoping it's going to go down soon, but prepared for it to, to continue to, to be there. Um, the, the forecast right now shows a very, very slow decline over the next uh, month or so. So we're hoping that holds, no more rain happens up north, and uh, we can get out of this, this flood fight by the middle of the summer. I want to ask you about something, and, and this is something we didn't talk about ahead of time, so I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here, but you do see some environmental concerns you know, when o- opening the Bonnie Carey Spillway, uh, there's been a lot of talk about opening the Morganza and why those decisions uh, weren't approved or, or, or made. Could you kind of talk about the importance of making sure you guys stick to the policy and the trigger points when it comes to those types of uh, actions and, and what that means for the public? Yeah, sure. So we, we have a uh, water control plan um, that dictates how we operate these structures. Uh, first goes Bonnie Carey at 1.25 million cubic feet a second coming past it. And then the trigger for Morganza is a little bit higher. It's one and a half million coming past that. So uh, while we did hit the Bonnie Carey trigger twice, we were somewhere between those two triggers, which is why we never opened Morganza for this event. We came very, very, very close to it, this, this event, but was able to pass it without doing it. Of course, we're not going to do it um, unless we unless we have the need to do it. Um, that's, how, that's how the system was congressionally authorized that's how we will continue to operate it and operate it as a system and not just uh, a couple of floodways um on environmental concerns we we um have partnered with resource agencies from uh state of louisiana and mississippi um there's monitoring programs out there to assess the environmental impacts um there are some environmental impacts to to putting fresh water in in the lake um a lot of data is yet to be to come in and be determined how, to what extent those impacts are out there. Um, but anytime you're, you're introducing uh, a different type of water into the lake, there are going to be impacts. Um, but the necessity to do it uh, far outweighs that. And like I said, it's, it's congressionally authorized by law that we do it a certain way. And we've got a lot of suggestions, a lot of questions from, uh, from the general public, from public officials and, um, our plan has been communicated widely prior to this event um, and, and approved, and we are operating by the plan as it, as it stated. You know, I'm glad you kind of addressed that because you hear a lot of discussions maybe on talk radio and some other platforms where you hear people 
saying like, hey, if you know if the water's this high, why don't they just open Morganza? But when you see, uh, you know, the possible environmental impacts and other other factors, it's important to have some type of standards in place. So we we appreciate you addressing addressing that. Uh, anything that the public needs to be aware of, maybe if people live in, you know, let's say the river parishes or our areas potentially impacted by the rivers right now, anything they need to be on the lookout for or anything they can help report if they see any type of issues? Yeah, sure. So uh, we inspect every day um, while the river's above 15 in New Orleans. Uh, we inspect all 970 miles, but there's always room for more inspectors. So Pull us out taking a walk, taking a bike ride, or they just kind of see something that doesn't look right. Um, you can contact your parish, you can con- contact a local levy district, or you can contact us directly. Uh, our number is 504 862 1102. We are there 24 7 while this flood's going on. Um, we, If we get a report of something, we'll um, determine the severity of it and either send somebody out right away to go take a look or uh, like I said, the next day we'll we'll have an inspector passing that we have it happening every day, and we'll stop and and take a look and get a get a recommendation on it. But um, some things we're looking for are seepage. Uh, that's that's water kind of coming up from the ground, seeping through the levee section. Um, barges that are too close, they can't be within 180 feet of the crown of the levee, or digging within 1,500 feet of the levee. Uh, we get almost daily reports from citizens of of activities like that happening and, and we, we take them in and, and go inspect and, and uh, make corrective actions as necessary. Um, just ask the public to stay vigilant. Know that this, uh, this is a record flood and that the water's high and um, that the system is working as designed. And, and for the most part, I think most of the general public probably doesn't know how high the water's been for how long, yeah. uh, which is a good thing. That, that means we haven't had major impacts, any major problems. Um, so, this this working as designed is is the best thing that can happen and and uh, just stay vigilant out there and if you, you find something let us know and uh, I guess the final thing is you know we have seen the the uh, Bonnie Carey open for a record breaking length of time and and you mentioned two times uh, this year it's been open uh, do you see anything uh, as far as trends i mean we know there's been a couple of openings within the last couple of years now that are kind of unusual do you think that's a trend we'll continue to see or is there any way to kind of predict uh future activity like that um i I don't know of any way to predict it um there's a lot of debate out there on on what's causing it why we're here um but the good news is this is a system that can be operated over and over and over again Right. It's um, if it happens again, we'll we'll go do it again. Um, I'll leave it to other scientists to figure out why that's happening or if it's going to continue to happen. But we'll continue to react to it and and operate the system as it's designed. Okay, we appreciate you taking time out with us today. Could you repeat that number one more time if anyone uh, does see a potential problem, how they can report it? Sure. It's five zero four eight six two one one zero two. Okay. Well, thank you. That was some great information, and uh, we appreciate you taking time to join us. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank West Feliciana Parish OEP Director Brian Spillman, volunteers Ed Leachman and Carrie Cobb, GOSEP's Kimberly Poorball, along with Heath Jones with the Army Corps of Engineers for joining us today. 
Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned today to help you and your business finalize an emergency plan. You can find out more information at getagameplan.org. You can also find out more about the West Feliciana Response and Recovery Foundation by visiting the group's Facebook page. We want to thank producer Troy Perez and Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. They also have a great podcast titled The Gifted Life Podcast. For more on the topics we talked about today, go to GetAGamePlan.org. And don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, thanks for joining us. We'll have a new episode available next month. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.